Welcome to Economics Echo, the podcast that provides in-depth analysis of the latest business trends, economic data, and markets moving policies. Zooming in on how this all affects ordinary people. With consumer prices continuing to skyrocket upwards, from food to energy, energy to used cars, and wages struggling to keep up with the cost of living crisis, I think it's time to revisit the notion of transitory inflation. Were the experts right or are they still right? And what can actually be done about it? Or is this all just the new normal that we just have to accept and suck it up? All of this and much more coming up. Now, as always on the Economics Echo podcast, a bit of background. And we'll begin by just deciphering what inflation actually is, just so we're all on the same page here. So yes, inflation is a situation of rising prices within an economy. A more exact definition of inflation is a sustained increase in the general price level within an economy. Inflation means an increase in the cost of living as the price of um, goods and services rise. The rate of inflation measures the annual percentage change um, in the general price level. Now, quite often, inflation is linked to the value of money, and rightly so, because inflation leads to a decline in the value of money. Inflation means that your money won't buy as much today as you could yesterday. If the prices of goods rise, the same amount of money will purchase a smaller quantity of those particular goods. And of course, there are different types of inflation. And these include one, cost push inflation, which is whereby a rise in prices is caused by a rise in the cost of production, such as higher oil prices. And that's actually what's feeding into, you know, global economies all around the world uh, when it comes to higher energy bills for households and businesses globally. And then, of course, we have two, demand pull inflation, when a rise in prices is caused by rising aggregate demand and firms pushing up prices due to the shortages of goods. And again, we are actually seeing this play in the day to day, really, in the global economy, where we're seeing seeing supply chain bottlenecks, uh, particularly when it comes to the chip shortages, and that's causing the rise in used car prices as people are struggling to um, afford or even find brand new cars, um, such as your Teslas, etc. Now, believe it or not, there is actually another brand of inflation, if you will, which is called hyperinflation. Now, hyperinflation is generally considered to occur when inflation is greater than 1000%. With hyperinflation, money loses its value so rapidly that nobody actually wants to use it as a medium of exchange. Now, thankfully, much of the global economy, there isn't too many pockets of hyperinflation. The only um, the name or nation that comes up to mind right now is potentially Venezuela. But aside from that, most countries around the world aren't experiencing hyperinflation. Um, throughout economic history, we've seen it actually play out in real life. Um, if you go back to you know the 20th century in the 1920s, Germany um, had inflation of 100 billion, yes, billion percent. Uh, fast forward to 1946, Hungary had inflation of 42 billion percent. 
Uh, now, more recently, we have the classic case of Zimbabwe uh, back in, when was it, 2008, I want to say. And also, they had billions of percent in their inflation rate. So, yeah, we can see a play out to that. That's like the extreme cases of inflation. Hopefully, we won't get there anytime soon. When it comes to measuring inflation, we'll take the example of the United Kingdom whereby they have a statistics authority known as the Office for National Statistics that measures the price of 1,000 goods every month and gives a weighting to different goods depending on how important they are in a typical basket of goods. And then an index is created which, uh, which calculates the weighting of the good multiplied by the price change. So, um, and then, you know, we can see the costs of inflation. Um, inflation is seen to have economic costs, and these include, one, a decline in the value of savings, you know. Uh, two, it can create uncertainty for businesses, leading to um, less investment in the economy. Um, and then finally, three, among other reasons, um, is a decline in the competitiveness of exports if inflation is higher than in other countries as well. So that's just a brief roundup of inflation. And uh, yeah, now that we're all on the same page, let's get into what is actually happening on the ground. So what is the deal with inflation? What is actually happening on the ground? And for to answer this question, I'm going to use the example of the United Kingdom. In the UK, as it stands, UK households are facing a triple whammy of soaring energy costs, galloping inflation and tax rises and this is all putting pressure on households up and down the country with some economists predicting a cut in real incomes worse than that seen during the financial crisis of 2008. Inflation as measured by the consumer price index CPI um, was 5.1% in the 12 months to November 2021 up from 4.2% in October 2021. That's more than twice the Bank of England's uh, 2% target rate. The old retail price index measure of inflation is already at 7.1%. That's probably one reason why ministers um, in Whitehall, Westminster, insist that it's no longer, quote, an official measure. On tax, national insurance rises are due to be um, ris uh, to be hiked in April, plus there's a freeze on thresholds, another form of real tax rises, meaning that Britain is essentially heading for its highest overall tax burden since the 1950s. And energy bills are set to soar also in April, with a YouGov poll showing that one in three Brits think they won't be able to pay their energy bills this year. In fact, there's all, all sorts of stories in the media of people up and down the country who are essentially having to pick and choose between putting food on the table and heating their homes. Together with tax rises, according to the Resolution Fund, which is a left-wing economics think tank, they calculated that the average household in the United Kingdom stands to lose an extra £1,200 a year and that's before you take into account uh, the impact of energy prices on inflation. Goldman Sachs, the big US um, investment bank, reckons that the April price hikes will take the CPI inflation rate from that 5.1% to 6.8%, which would make it the highest rate for 30 years. 
So when you take into account uh, the April uh, tax rises that are going to be coming in on national insurance, um, yeah, the highest inflation rate for over 30 years in the British economy for UK households. And when you put this all into perspective, this is relevant. This matters for the broader uh, context of things. Why? Because in the UK, there is a government struggling to emerge from the global pandemic with a convincing agenda, a governing party increasingly divided over fiscal policy, and a prime minister weakened by questions over his integrity. Now, when it comes to economics, sorry to get all political there, but in economics, we know that the current Conservative government has in uh, a plan, well, plan or slogan, um, claiming that it wants to deliver a, quote, high wage, high productivity economy. Uh, but in accordance, or should I say the Financial Times, they're saying that essentially now the real um, crux of the issue, the agenda from now on in, should be the government focusing on heading off a high cost, high poverty economy instead. And we'll see how they how they do things. In other words, you know, Boris Johnson should be worrying more about um, shit. soaring bills, inflation and tax rises are squeezing household incomes. And it doesn't seem like there's much that governments or central banks can do about it. Or is there? Let's investigate. Now, I want to quickly touch on what is actually being done to tackle the inflation crisis we're currently living through. Um, and, you know, different countries all over the world, because this has now become a global inflation country uh, crisis, um, um, a global cost of living crisis, and we're seeing different ways, different methods of tackling the issue, the problem. Um, so we'll kick things off with the United States of America. Now, if there's one word that keeps the Federal Reserve chairs um, the um, governor, if you like, of the Federal Reserve Bank, United States, Jerome Powell, awake at night, um, is the term transitory. Now, this was a self-imposed word that he came up with to describe um, the temporary nature of um, the inflationary effects that we're currently seeing through um, in the United States economy. Now, by any measures, the U.S. economy has roared back from the pandemic recession. Um, unemployment has fallen to 4.6% um, as of um, was it October 2021. That's down from um, the high of 14.8% at the peak of the pandemic. Now, the jobs market is so hot right now, or tight, as economists like to, like to call it, that there's record numbers of people who are quitting to find new posts and wages are rising. Stock markets keep, you know, hitting record highs. People are spending again. Um, and yet the specter of inflation hangs over it all. Rising energy costs, increased consumption, consumption and supply chain shortages and bottlenecks have sent U.S. inflation surging to an annual rate of 6.2%, a level not seen for more than 30 years. Now, Powell and the Biden administration have repeatedly said that um, these rises are, quote, transitory and will recede as the pandemic's impact on the economy um, wanes over time. Um, but prices have continued to rise, despite uh, the, the reassurances of the government and the central bank. 
And fear has been, you know, stoked by, um, you know, political expendency on the part of Republicans and doubt by the astronomic inflation in media coverage of this particular issue. Um, and it's got U.S. households and consumers worried, and rightly so. You know, we're seeing consumer confidence in the country that has plunged to a 10-year low. That's back in November 2021. Uh, so what is actually being done? What could, you know, the central bank, the government do? Um, well, the Feds, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank in the United States, main tool for damping inflation is of course, interest rates. So they could raise interest rates, um, but it is a blunt instrument and one power has been wary of using um, up until now. But, um, you know, we're, we're seeing the last, um, was a monetary policy statement meeting um, um, earlier on in January. Uh, we're seeing, you know, there's been um, a change in sentiment of Powell, you know, he's now signaling to, you know, the financial markets, households and businesses that interest rates could potentially go up at their next monetary policy meeting um, in March. Um, but the dilemma remains. The dilemma is still clear for the central bank, because if they raise interest rates too quickly, um, that could actually uh, install or, um, you know, kind of, um, they could pump the brakes on a economic recovery, and it could prove to be counterproductive if indeed the price rises are, as they say, or as said, uh, transitory. But failing to dampen inflation could, in the worst case scenario, lead to runaway price hikes, more rate rises, and an economic recession. So you can see the kind of dilemma there uh, between a rock and a hard place, if you want to call it that, um, that the central bank finds itself in, um, as well as the government indeed. When it comes to the United Kingdom, the Bank of England is expected to become the first major central bank in the world to raise interest rates when officials meet. Um, when is it? On Thursday of this month, actually, this week, uh, Thursday, the 4th of February. Now, as one of the more open economies in the world, with more than one third of its GDP dependent on trade, Britain has suffered more than most from the supply chain crunch and energy price rises. Meanwhile, we're also seeing the effects of Brexit, which has reduced um, access to skilled workers who might have once filled the record level of job vacancies we are currently seeing in the labour market, which is, again, fueling that inflation trend again. Now, policymakers, particularly the Bank of England and as well at the her Majesty's Treasury, fear workers emboldened by a lack of people to fill vacancies will demand higher wages to compensate for those higher living costs. And this could trigger a damaging wage price spiral lasting several years. That's the fear on everyone's, um, everyone's mind. Now, critics of the central bank, the Bank of England, ask what higher borrowing costs would do to calm energy prices which are, of course, determined by global financial markets. There is also little evidence that labour shortages can be resolved by making access to credit more expensive. That's the argument that they said. So instead, um, a rise in interest rates could actually further erode the living costs of those who depend on credit to survive. And again, that's the dilemma that the Bank of England finds itself in, um, as well as, you know, many other major central banks in the world. 
In the Eurozone, we're seeing inflation hovering at 5%, which, by the way, is a record high since the creation of the Euro single currency. Although it's kind of have to take it with a pinch of salt because price rises vary widely across the Euro area. So what's happening in France could be different to what's happening in Portugal, and what's happening in Portugal is or could be different to what's happening in Greece, for example. You get the idea. I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence here. Now, um, the dominant um, central bank, the only central bank really in the euro area is the European Central Bank, which is headed by um, Christine Lagarde, um, former French finance minister. And the ECB sets interest rates for all 19 members of the euro currency union. And, uh, you know, the head of the ECB, uh, Madame Christine Lagarde um, has been warning that pressing the button too early, or another analogy, tapping on the brakes too early could damage the economic recovery from the pandemic. And of course, by tapping on the brakes or pressing the button too early, we are, of course, talking about um, raising interest rates or even cutting back on the enormous stimulus, i.e., the um, vast amounts of money that's been pumped into uh, the European financial system in order to, you know, bring the economy uh, back on track, you know, post the pandemic. Um, and this is at a time when purchasing power is already being squeezed by higher energy and fuel bills, as we're seeing in um, the United Kingdom and the United States to some extent, and an undue tightening of, you know, the loose monetary policy i.e. low interest rates to high interest rates, um, could present an unwarranted headwind for the economic recovery of the uh, Eurozone. That's according to the ECB. And um, well, Oliver Raku, the chief German economist at um, Oxford um, Economics, agrees with the ECB that Eurozone inflation is, again, that term again, transitory. And um, his team forecasts inflation will slow to 2% this year in 2022, um, after averaging 2.4% um, in the uh, uh, current year, which was uh, 2021. Now, he recommends easing off the quantitative easing plan, um, which is the you know asset purchasing program that the ECB had, uh, that the Bank of England also has, the Federal Reserve, all major central banks, Bank of Japan, classic example, and also its sibling, uh, pandemic sibling before hiking the cost of borrowing money. Um, suddenly, talking about interest rate hikes before you see you've even normalized um, your QE purchases, um, I don't think makes a lot of sense. That's according to um, this chief German economist at Oxford Economics. I want to go far east for a moment and look at the example of Japan, because Japan is an interesting, notable exception to the global inflation surge we are seeing um, all over the world. Now, as the pioneer of ultra-loose or easy monetary policy, i.e. low interest rates, um, huge amounts of money being supplied to the financial system, um, the interest rate in Japan has been at minus 0.1% since 2015. Um, the world's third biggest economy is struggling to end decades of deflation. That's when prices are falling rather than rising and stagnation and looks unlikely to reach its inflation target of 2% anytime soon. 
Now, although government data showed a slight year-on-year increase in core consumer prices for October, driven mainly by higher fuel prices, economists warned that rises in underlying inflation were likely to be modest. That's in Japan. Now, in a recent Reuters poll, economists said they expected 13 of 25 central banks to raise interest rates at least once um, before the end of 2022. The Bank of Japan was not among them. Um, And this is according to Masamichi Adachi, um, who is the chief economist at UBS Securities. He says, quote, the BOJ, the Bank of Japan, is living in a totally different world as an outlier from the global trend. Uh, trend. End quote. Now, Japan's emergence as the sole Keynesian in the room was underlined when the country's uh, new prime minister, Mr. Fumio Kishida, unveiled a record stimulus package worth about 56 trillion yen, or U- uh, 490 billion US dollars, back in November. The uh, spending package includes cash handouts for people aged 18 and under and investment in uh, pandemic readiness uh, for the near future. And finally, to China now. Now, believe it or not, some inflation drivers and global supply chain problems that we are seeing um, can be traced directly back to the world's second biggest economy. China is the world's biggest exporter and accounts for almost 30% or a third of the world's manufacturing. Disruptions in China in the form of power, labor, and shipping shortages have had knock-on effects all across the world. The country's annual inflation rate rose to 1.5% in October 2021, up from 0.7% in September, the highest for 13 months. Now, when you actually compare that to what's happening in, you know, developed markets, it doesn't seem all that high, to be perfectly honest. You know, we're seeing multi-decade highs in the United States, 5% inflation in the Eurozone, um, just over 5% in the United Kingdom. Compare that to China's 1.5%, it seems meager. Now, China's inflation rate is being driven by, you know, food and fuel costs, more alarmingly. Factory gate prices soared 13.5%, the fastest rate for 26 years, mainly because of energy costs. But the People's Bank of China, which is China's um, central bank, has more pressing problems to deal with, including a wobbling property sector. Now, the main interest rate has been at 3.85%. Uh, since early 2020, just before the pandemic hit, and is highly unlikely to go up given the harmful impact that could have on the housing market, um, particularly um, as it uh, pertains to uh, China Evergrande Group and others within this sector. And uh, yeah, we could potentially see China with a Lehman Brothers moment, which sounds very scary indeed. Have you noticed a pattern here? I don't know about you, but what I'm seeing right now, whether it's in the United States, right across to the Far East, um, in Japan, China, etc., we are seeing, um, when it comes to tackling the global inflation crisis, um, the cost of living crisis, we're seeing central banks take up most of the burden upon themselves. 
um, we're seeing monetary policy um, effectively being the main uh, deterrent, if you like, the main um, the main solution that's being exercised to tackle this issue. And to me, I don't think that's uh, that's fair enough. I don't think that's efficient enough. I think we need to see fiscal policy step up to the plate. Fiscal policy uh, entails, you know, tax and spending plans instituted by governments. And I'd like to see governments all around the world where we're seeing inflation surges, cost of living crises, um, with governments putting uh, plans in place, devising initiatives um, that are useful in, you know, lowering energy bills for households, uh, lowering energy costs for businesses, um, you know, speaking to OPEC around the oil prices, etc., etc. Now, yeah, you could say there are some incremental steps that have been taken, but I think you know governments are kind of sitting back as they usually do and let central banks take up most of the burden yet again. And we've seen this before: the global financial crisis. Most of the burden was taken up by monetary policy in trying to lift uh, the global economy out of that rut, if you like. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of my kind of takeaway from this what's actually being done. I think there's only one side that's taking up um, and actually putting steps in place to tackle this. Let's have the other side of fiscal policy do, um, you know, lift, do a bit of the heavy lifting as well. Yeah, we'll see how it goes, but hopefully they, um, they, they do that too. To conclude this episode, listen, I uh, started off the, in the intro with a question. Were the experts right? Are they correct? that inflation is really, truly uh, transitory. What, what is transitory anyway? Like, you know, people, it's almost become a word that's been synonymous with inflation. Um, you know, transitory in its simplest terms means temporary. Um, and how temporary is temporary? Are we talking 12 months, 18 months, two years? Where are we counting from? Um and, you know, I think it's become such a big issue when you're seeing central banks effectively eliminate that term from their um, policy statements that they put out, particularly the Federal Reserve in the United States, uh, Chairman Jerome Powell. You don't see him mention that word, that particular term as much. And I think it has become confusing. You know, there hasn't been as much explanation of what it means um, for households, businesses all over the global economy. And again, it goes back to my point about monetary policy just taking most of the burden of tackling the inflation, the cost of living crisis that we're going through. Potentially, governments need to step in as well and, you know, project or explain what transitory means for their constituencies, the people, the voters that they represent, that they work for. Um, so that's an issue on that front. But what isn't uh, well, what what isn't um, ambiguous or something that is clear for now is that in the near future, we are going to see um, risks to the upside when it comes to inflation, particularly when we're seeing um, the um, Ukraine-Russia geopolitical crisis. Um, potentially, we could see energy prices spiking, natural gas in particular. You know, Nord Stream 2, um, you know, affecting Germany and the pipelines, Russia potentially shutting off the gas to its European neighbors, etc., etc. And the whole kerfuffle around that, we could see energy prices spike higher, which, again, just pushes up the pressures on inflation 
um, and the pressure on governments and central banks to step up even further um, in reducing stimulus, uh, raising interest rates, which could that have the detrimental effect of, you know, just just bulldozing the economic recovery that um, has has happened during during a uh, post pandemic. So we'll see what happens. Um, and yeah, that's uh, inflation 2022. Uh, yeah, we'll see. My only hope is that fiscal policy, tax and spending plans from governments, they really need to step up on this front and do what they can um, in, in solving the cost of living crisis. Well, that has been it for episode 63 of the Economics Echo podcast. Be sure to subscribe from your favorite podcast provider and join us next week for a brand new episode. Still on the inflation topic, looking at Turkey with President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and his quite strange, unusual belief system when it comes to inflation and dealing with it. He believes cutting interest rates helps deal in tackling inflation which is contrary to popular or economic theory 101. So we'll get into that. Until then, this is Econox Echo signing out. Peace.